I'll be in Psalm 127 this morning, Gus in Psalm 1 next Sunday, and we will have spent August into the beginning of September in Psalms. I pray that God will minister to us again this morning. My, my sermon is really about, um, I hopefully faithfully to the text, it is, it is generally something that applies to every one of us and no matter what endeavor you are, are going after this week and this year and in your life. So it has a broad application to everybody and it has a more specific application to those, anyone who is involved with rearing children. And so actually that's everyone in here. It's, it's the children or those that are still being reared. You need to go, hey, what does God say about that? And, and of course, parents who are in the midst of it right now, and then grandparents, but also the church. And I would say singles if you're here. God has called you to help minister and shape children for the Lord. I'm so thankful for Jason's message last Sunday. I got to watch it online, and it was so it fits so well with this sermon, and yet it overlaps, and yet it is distinctly different. And I'm thankful for Jason calling us to call our children to hope in God and to, to run to this God passing that torch this morning. We're going to look at Psalm 127. I wanted to show you a picture of my family. This is, it might be hard for you to see. It's kind of hard to... It's a little dim here. This is about the little one that Mary, that Molly is holding is Mary, and this was at a child dedication. And as you can see, the four that are older than her have grown up quite a bit since then. They're not fully grown, I don't think. They're still being shaped. They're still in the home. But as you're going to see in a few minutes, these are arrows that God has given to me that are called to someday fly out to serve the Lord. Psalm 127 is where we're going to be our text. I want to ask a few questions. I want, to, I want to think about a few things with you for a minute. I can't imagine doing what... Um, I can't imagine doing what the bishops are doing right now. They're building a house. You are braver and stronger and more courageous and ambitious than me. Or maybe just crazy. Having a home is a wonderful thing and a bundle of worries. Do I need to pump, up this, pump the septic this spring? Do I have a good enough drain filled? Will the sump pump keep working while, or will there get water in the basement? How much longer do I have with that boiler? What is that smell? Is that natural gas? Honey, we, do you know the screen is torn? I think the washer's going out. The dishwasher's making a weird noise. A woodpecker is, is beating on our pillars. What about the leak in the bathroom? I think the drain is plugged again. Can you relate? Doesn't end. Those are like real life, I don't have to make up illustrations. And it's kind of like our jobs. It, it could be as a pastor. It could be whatever job you're in, including parenting at home, uh, the stress, the problems, the difficulties, every turn, uh, boss or coworkers, employers, 
or employees or uh, the commute or budgets and deadlines and plans and goals, the economy. Now, now what about the family? Uh, or if you have kids or grandkids or foster kids or kids that are in your home, we, we need more diapers. We just bought some. Uh, do you know how many gallons of milk or boxes of cereal we go through in a week? Your room has been declared a federal disaster area. Here we go again. They're fighting. How are we going to survive their school, their sports, their youth group, their schedule this fall? When will they actually start eating what we give them and actually being thankful? Why don't they just brush their teeth on their own? And without being nagged, is a sleepover safe? How can we afford that event? Should I let them play outside by themselves? Can we handle a dog, a fish, birds, other creatures? Uh, Who will be at that party? What are you going to do? Did your friend ask your parents, what are you wearing? You need to go change. We're late again. Driver's ed already? Gather in the living room. We're going to have some family time. Ugh, again, it takes so long. Put your phone away. No devices here. I'm shutting the router down. Are they bypassing the router in some sneaky way? (laughs) Bored is an unacceptable answer. We ask these questions. Will my kids be safe? Will they die in a car accident? Are they suicidal? What are they looking at at the computer? Will they be kidnapped, abused, lost, injured? Will I provide enough for them to succeed? Am I ruining my kids? Are they being prepared for the world that they're living in now? It's a different world than I grew up in. Is homeschool ruining my kids? Is is public school ruining my kids? All of these questions. Uh, Will they love and hope in Jesus? Will the faith that they have now really carry on to when they're 20 and beyond? Will they make the right decisions when they have to make those decisions on their own? Will they read the Bible on their own? Will they run from temptation when no one else is looking other than God? Which brings us to Psalm 127. Will you follow me as I read? It's a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And then would you look with me to the next chapter? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. 
You shall eat of the fruit of labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Realize that not God has not given every married couple children, not every person a marriage. God is speaking here in the normal way in which God chooses to bless, but there are blessings far beyond just having a family, a marriage, or children. God gives a special mercy and a grace and a privilege and a, and a ministry to those, whether they are single or barren or, or they're not able to have a lot of children. So I'd pray for those that might find these passages reminding them, well, am I complete if I don't have a, a full quiver of a lot of children? I'm not married or I don't, I'm not able to. Oh, oh, God's grace is sufficient and he has, I think, promises buried into these passages for you as well. Psalm 127 is about pointing us to the wisdom of the fear of God. Blessed or truly happy and fulfilled. Gus is going to talk about blessed next week. Is everyone who fears the Lord, 128 says, who walks in his way. And 127, though probably not written by the same author, are often linked together. And it shows us what it looks like practically in our work or in our house building or in our guarding a city or our raising a family or any human endeavor. Uh, last week, Barnabas and I went to the Henry Ford Museum. It was a week and a half ago. And we, we went and we watched an IMAX movie. And it was showing in 3D, so we put on these glasses. Those glasses were necessary for us to see the film rightly. Without them, it wouldn't have been enjoyable. It would have been blurry and frustrating. You needed to put the glasses on. Psalm 127, uh, in a sense, are, are, provide for us some glasses to put on whatever our endeavor may be in grandparenting, in retirement, in serving as a single person, in growing as a disciple, in discipling others, in raising children, in being so burdened and being called to evangelize our family or our neighbors, our work at our school. Let's put on these glasses, and I, I hope we see from Psalm 127 three things. If you have the back of your bulletin, I have an outline, and that will help you follow along where I'm going. Here are the three things. If you could read that there, they're also on the bulletin. One, behold, there is a primary builder, and we must embrace him. Wisdom does that. The fear of the Lord does that. There is a primary builder, and we must embrace him. Two, behold... Meaning, look, we have limits to embrace and, should be a comma I should have put, and enjoy God's rest with faith. And the third, this passage gives us a glasses to say, behold, children are a blessing from the Lord. These little ones here, the ones that walked out, the ones who are sometimes too loud and bump into your ankle in the hallway, they're a blessing from the Lord. Oh, that we would, with the lenses of Psalm 127, look and live in the fear of the Lord. Okay, let's look at number one. And behold, behold, there's a primary builder and we must embrace him. 
Look at verse 1 of 127. Unless the Lord labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. This is a powerful passage. It's worth you taking and putting it somewhere in your house or in your office. This is a, a life kind of verse. Unless God this, then nothing happens. Unless God preaches this sermon this morning, my labor's in vain. Unless God works in your heart this morning, our labors are in vain. Unless God works through your parenting, unless God helps the bishops as they build their house, their labor is in vain. It's all dependent on him ultimately. Unless the Lord watches or builds, it's to no avail. And you see what this passage says is there's two builders and two watchmen. The two builders are, there's a primary builder and there's a secondary builder. The primary builder is God. He is the necessary builder. Now, there's a secondary builder which God almost always uses as a means. This passage doesn't say, unless the Lord builds the house, so therefore don't worry about building houses. And don't worry about watching over a city. There's no need for any security or builders of a house. It just happens because God. No, they're going to build. They're going to watch a city. But unless the primary builder is at work, it's futile. It's vain. And the Solomon that gives this passage, Solomon wants us to know the fear of the Lord understands this. Both are necessary, but the second is completely dependent on the first. We're to build houses, raise families, disciple people, evangelize the lost, pastor churches, work hard, go to school, work your job, do all that you've called, but unless the Lord works, it's in vain. This is what Jesus meant when he said, John 15, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Blessed, happy, truly fulfilled is everyone who fears God that knows there's a primary builder. And to do that, how do we rest and embrace the primary builder? I said, the first thing is, you parents, anybody here, embrace the primary builder. First of all, we need to recognize, uh, we need to recognize that all that you do and are, you need to recognize this primary builder. He's in charge. He must work. And you are to completely depend on him. That means the life of prayer is vital for us in everything, parents included. We, we must not think this, the primary builder is going to bless in our home and work through our efforts if, if we don't ask him for help faithfully and regularly. That's how he teaches us. And we, we embrace him by resting in him and calling out to him and seeking him. And we, we do it by, by living a life that goes, if the Lord wills, we'll do this. Yeah, yeah, tomorrow we're going to do this if the Lord wills, God willing. It's where that phrase comes from, actually, from James chapter 4, where James says, you want to know what pride is? It's to make plans for getting the primary builder. Because he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade. We're going to do this endeavor, and we're going to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears only for a little time and it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
The point of John or of James four in that passage is there is a there is an obedience that embraces the primary builder. But that primary build it's not just saying God help me. The unless the Lord builds, I labor in vain. A person that embraces the primary builder doesn't just say, God, primary build, it's just starting out. School's about to start. The, the teenhood of parenting, the, the, the adulthood of parenting, evangelism of your children. But it's also saying, well, what does God have told me already in my life that I need to obey? Am I making him a priority? Am I obeying his commands? Am I seeking him? So I want to take a parenthesis because I know that Child dedication, parenting, but also everyone sitting here, we've asked you to help these three dedicating parents with their little kids to uphold them and help them. I came across from Steve Lawson this week seven things that should be built into a Christian home. Seven things for a house to be built by God. They're up there. They're also in your bulletin. I'm going to just go so quickly through them, but I just pray that one or two will just ring specifically, but also... I can't assume that you all know this. The Bible teaches that to, so to build on the Lord, trusting in him, obeying him, there should be at least seven C's in our home. One, conversion. That's why when, in the vows that we just did with the parents, they're saying, oh God, would you save them? Would you convert them? Will you change their heart from the inside out? Will you do a work? Would we all pray as a congregation for the little ones and the big ones and the older ones that God would do a saving, born-again work? So the first thing we long for as parents and as Christian homes is conversion, changed hearts. Not, not just conformed people that just do their own thing, but changed heart. The second is commitment. A godly home has commitments. If you're going if, if to rest in the primary builder, you're going to have commitments. You're going to say, fathers, if you're in the home leading, and you're called to lead, if, you're, if you have a home that has a father, as for me as my house, we will serve the Lord. Parents, you say that. Countless commitments under the banner of the allegiance of Jesus is what parents and families do. We say to our kids, we have a commitment to purity. We have a commitment to the word. We have a commitment to obey God. We have a commitment to church and to others, all because of a commitment to Jesus Christ. This means as a family, our commitments say no to certain things because we say yes to better things. Just like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they made commitments to the Lord, and therefore that meant no here into this culture because I say yes to our sovereign God that we follow Oh, our children need parents that make commitments. But three, the third C is we need parents that, make, that embrace commandments. The commandments of the Lord are pure and right. They're not bad, they're good. The word of God is, is our law and our life. And, the word, and a, a godly family is built on the commandments of God. Not without gospel, but with the gospel. But the word of God and what he has commanded to us is our life. We grow in the word of God. Among these commandments in the home is the first commandment with the promise, the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother. What matters is not what dad or mom think or want or what the kids think or want. 
What matters in a Christian home that's built up in the Lord on that primary builder is what does God think or want? And how do we know what God thinks or wants, but it's revealed into this book? We need to, parents, be people of the book. We need to put ourselves before the Word of God at home, and, but also at Sunday school and in teaching and small groups or whatever places where you'll get accountability and the Word of God. Godly homes that look to the primary builder, conversions and commitment, commandments and conversations. Deuteronomy 6 says, you shall talk of me and my commandments when you walk in the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out of the way. There's a lot of passages, the conversations of our lives to be, be seasoned with grace. Words must be of grace just like God. Conversations in our home, we must strive for a godly home that speaks the truth and love and kindness, not in anger, gossip, spite, or foolishness, but kindness. Godly home built on God is also full of compassion. Moms and dads, we must love God's word and be firm on God's word, but we are compassionate because we know we are sinners and we need grace just like our kids, and we show it. Our home should be a home full of compassion and love, an atmosphere like 1 Corinthians 13, kindness and tenderness, not rudeness. Going through these quickly, it's number six. It should be full of cleanness or at least striving towards cleanness. What I mean by that is not, I'm not talking about personal hygiene, though that's important. And I'm not talking about washing the dishes, as good as that is. I'm talking about purity, about caring about what we watch, what we entertain ourselves with, how we relate to the world. We are to love the world. We are to love unbelievers that are around us. But we are distinct because we have a commitment to our great God who saved us and have called us to himself. A godly home built on the primary builder says, as we, we care about God's standard. And a godly family that built on the primary build, builder that's God, the church is vital. Uh, it's, every church should have a home where mom and dad are committed members who submit to other spiritual leaders. They're calling their children to submit. They submit. They submit first to God and his word, and they submit to elders in their lives that will watch over their souls. They bring their kids into a community of faith where they have surround themselves with aunts and uncles that are adopted spiritually into their lives. Sunday school teachers and small groups and youth group, kids, Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, through the life, building relationships where you create an atmosphere that God designed. God's discipleship model is the local church. And we should never think that our kids are going to grow up to be godly and love the Lord if, if the way God designed, the primary, primary builder designed, we ignore his plans. And so, let's, let's number one, let's put on the glasses. All of us, no matter what your, your calling is, your endeavor that you're looking at this week or this month or this year and say, there's a primary builder and I need to embrace him by trusting in him and obeying him by faith. The second thing I want you to do is, here's, here's the second lens or I guess the, the other dimension that comes in on those glasses that we need to have to fear the Lord. And that is, behold, we have limits to embrace 
And we need to enjoy God's rest with faith. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 127. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives his beloved sleep. What he's really saying is, okay, you had a builder, vain, watchman, vain, if it's God's not in it. Now, now a breadwinner. You get up really early, you go to work, you go to bed late, you're working, and you're anxious all the time. You're a bundle of worries. The person who fears God recognizes there's a primary builder, obeys him, but also ah, pillows his head and says, I'm not complete, but he is. I go to bed, I rest. Thank God he's not resting. Here are three words that every mom and dad, every pastor, every Christian, every grandparent needs to truly know and know what that really means. I'm not God. Neither are you. Wisdom works hard and knows that, and I'm calling, this passage doesn't say be lazy. It says build and watch and work. Raise your family. Do whatever you're called. But know that God is the most important factor. And don't let the fears of tomorrow drain out or drown out the joys of rest in the midst of an unfinished work that you have today. You are not done with your job, parents. And, and I know that you parents that have your kids, that have kids, and they're not in your home anymore, will nod your head and go, yes, your job as a parent and a potential worrying is not finished. You and I have limitations. This passage is going to say, who do you think you are carrying the, the weight of the world on your shoulders? You thought you could build the house, save the children, bring, converse, bring conversion to your children or your neighbor? You work today. Tonight, as you go to bed, you work today. There's so much left to do. Ah, God is at work as you sleep. Rest, Rest knowing that God's in charge. You know that God has responsibilities that you do not have. He works when we sleep. In fact, we are every night we are forced into a Sabbath, a rest, and we have to trust in God. You know, the Hebrew days began, if you look at Genesis 1, when the, the creation of the days, it didn't say, and the morning and the evening were the first day. What did it say? The evening and the morning was the first day. The evening and the morning was the second day. Well, why? We're not fully sure, but I think one good reason possibly was to teach all believing Israelites and all Christians that to learn that they started their day when they go to bed and rest. Because we're pretty limited. God isn't. Psalm 121, 3 through 4, is another song, a psalm of ascent, where the psalmist says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers or sleeps. 
Are you burning the candle on both ends with anxious toil as a mom and a dad? Boy, I listed at the beginning. There are a trillion things for moms and dads to figure out what to be anxious about. Oh, man. I just, you be anxious. You could be worked up about what's going on next for your kids. You be anxious about your job. You can be anxious about your school. You can be anxious about whatever's going to come next. This passage speaks to us and it says it is in vain to worry like this. Because the one, this is implied to the one who trusts in God, he gives his people rest. He gives his beloved rest. It is, his God, it is God's will for us to rest in him. And you see, it doesn't work to worry like this. Do your children see you as a bundle of worries? I confess that I need to too often repent of foolish self-reliance that manifests itself in worry and anxiety about the future for my kids or for whatever it is, or money or whatever it is. Do your kids see authentic faith? Yes, you struggle, but you confess that struggle to the Lord and to them and you recognize that God, not you, is in control. We need to accept that we are limited. This passage really implies too much of our control. You realize our control is an illusion. Only God is in control. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge. And six, the psalmist David said, do not fret because of evildoers, but be not envious of wrongdoers, for they'll soon fade away. Like dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and act. He will bring forth your righteousness and your justice like the noonday. Parents with growing kids, employees and employers with uncertainty at work, the looming diagnosis that you might have of the doctor as you're aging, he gives you rest today, trusting in the Lord. Beware parents, because anxious parenting leads to a controlling spirit that leads to bad parenting. Let me say that again. Anx parenting that's anxious leads to a controlling spirit that often leads to really bad parenting and is destructive. Almost all of us live lives from Monday through Saturday that are incomplete. If you, I want you to hear this. Almost all of us will live now from today, we'll go into Monday, through sun, sun, Saturday as incomplete, unfulfilled. You know you're not fully enough, you're not adequate. And I'm talking about like your task you do, but also like inwardly. You might start feeling that, man, I just, I don't match up to what I should be. I, God's perfect. I'm so far from it. I'm I just got a bunch of examples of how complete I am. It may be your parenting or work, your marriage, your friendships, your school, or all of the above. And we see it in social media. It reminds us how incomplete and imperfect compared to them. God gives rest in the gospel. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, having repented of your sins and put your full trust in Christ alone, what he did on the cross and raising from the dead, and he has saved you and made you his child, and if you're not, I invite you to that relationship. I'd love to talk with you about that. But if you have been truly saved and are his child, 
we can say, I'm not enough in myself. But he is, and I'm in him. I I look at my parenting, I'm not going to feel enough. And look at my marriage contribution, I'm going to feel not enough. Maybe I need to grow in these areas. I'm not saying not grow, but I'm going to just feel all this inadequacy. We need to just keep to the gospel and say, Jesus saved me when I wasn't enough. And he brought me in. And he gives me rest, gospel rest. Unless the Lord, I'm not enough in my life. You're not enough unless the Lord. But we rest in the fact of the finished work of Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for us and rose from the dead in order to unite us to him in some ways, to make us incomplete, imperfect, non-enough, adequate people in ourselves, enough in Christ. So we can go and tackle the mission of building a house, raising a family, going to school this year, facing our job, grandparenting, facing retirement and health crises, and say, I'm not enough, but he is. And he brought me in through Jesus Christ. He is enough so you don't have to be enough. So you can rest in your incompleteness, but in his completeness. The last thing I want you to see, the third point is, behold, children are a blessing from God. That's the third through five. That's the second half, the second stanza of this song. And this is just a call to all of us, not just parents, not just me who's raising five still in the home, and you who's raising kids in the home or about to start raising kids, because there's some of you in that status, or you, you, you look down the future, it might be coming, or you're grandparenting kids. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. What this passage says is children are three things. They're a heritage, or another word is a gift. They're a reward. And this actually, in the context, doesn't mean, good job, here's your blue ribbon. Because you got married, and you did, you know. Um, It's not that kind of reward. It means they're a delight, and they're arrows. They're, they're a gift or reward and arrows. The parents of faith, the parents that have faith, the, the people of God that have faith, they look at the little ones and they go, they're a gift, they're a blessing. They're, they're God's means of work. Oh, do I look at them with that? Do, what kind of glasses do I have when I see them? Are they a nuisance? Are they frustrating? Do they mean too much money? Do they mean too much work, too much trouble? Or... Do I take God at his word? They're a blessing. They're they're my inheritance. Or they're a gift from God inherited to me that I would something to the next generation. How do we think of these gifts that are among us when they walk back to Sunday school classes or to the junior churches? When they're a little loud? When we need help with volunteers? We need some volunteers for Wednesday night, little ones. It's, it, it's shaping kids. 
And, and it really makes a difference. I know God works through them. We probably need help at times in Sunday school classes, rotations, nursery workers. It takes faith in the midst of crying babies, dirty diapers, more messes, tight finances, difficult confrontations, arguing teens, and fighting siblings. It takes faith to say, I, I'm going to... Those seas, I'm going I'm to look rest in the primary building. I'm going to work hard, trust in him, rest in him, realizing I, my work is incomplete, but God is at work. And I want to end with this. He, he says, they're arrows. And, and he uses this, I use this often. I've got five kids, they're my quiver. I had a quiver full. I have a quiver full. Not, not, God doesn't give everybody the same quiver. Some, if some are unmarried or don't have children, This doesn't mean God doesn't have blessings for you. He does. You have spiritual children. I'm so thankful for your blessing and investing in others. You have a family that God promises to give that is in some ways even better than a physical family, and that's the family of God, the church. But in this case where there are family, he says they're arrows. Now, this is bending the text a little for, I'm not saying Solomon meant these three things, but I just want to end with this. There, there are three, this, this kind of fits what Jason said, and I, as I think of missions and our calling, arrows need to be shaped if they're going to work, right? I mean, they didn't have a manufacturing shop back then when Solomon was writing this. They had to take arrows and they had to shape them. They've got to be straight. They've got to be prepared. They need whatever you've got to do to make that arrow fly. And it didn't just gra- you didn't just grab something out of the weeds or the, or the forest, You shape the arrows. Parents, we shape our kids in the instruction and nurture of the Lord. Those seven building things, the God's word. And and then you need to to direct the arrows. An arrow doesn't, you don't just like put it anywhere. You, You direct it at a particular target for it to be any good. We need to so raise our kids, directing them to the Lord and directing them to their mission. We need to talk with our kids. Kids, you exist for God's glory, not your own or mom and dad's. We say, there are gifts from God, and we're surrendering all worldly claims on their lives in hope that they belong wholly to God. We're saying, God, I want you to take them and use them for your purposes. I hope some of these boys out here will go to the mission field, including if it's my sons, and I don't see them but every couple years. Because God's calling them to that, and we create a culture where they would think that way. You parents would, would raise them in a way that would think, don't just think comfortable, think kingdom. That's more comfortable in the long run, is obedience to Christ, shaped and directed. We're going to sing in just a minute a song, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. We haven't sung that in a long time here at church, but many of you, it's familiar Sinclair Ferguson wrote an extra verse that we're going to sing in the middle of this, and it says this, Take my daughter and my son, in them both thy will be done. To thee alone I now them give, may they for thy glory live. Amen? Oh, that we would shape and direct our arrows. Where are they going to get directed? Where will mom and dad go? They go to serve. They go to evangelize. They go to serve in the church. They go to serve Jesus. Why wouldn't our children go do that directing? We direct it with our lives. 
And lastly, our kids are meant to be sent out. They're not meant to, of course, stay in our basement playing video games all their lives, nor are they meant to just be nearby us in close driving distance so we can have Sunday afternoon lunches together. That's great when it can happen. Praise God. It's not bad. It's good. But they're meant for, to be sent out to serve God. And it might be serving God in the mission field or in the pastorate, but it might be serving God as a policeman. It might be serving God as a doctor. It might be serving God as a plumber or a machinist or mechanic or in finances. But, but with God is central, and it might take them into places that are not so convenient for us. This summer... This spring, my daughter wanted to go to camp, and I didn't want her to go to camp because this is one of her last summers here, and I want her here. And my good old wife said, she's not that old, but she said, <laughs> she's five years younger than me. She said to me, uh, aren't we raising them to serve the Lord, and she wants to serve the Lord? Oh, man. Yes. Go. Can't argue with that one. We raise them to go, to serve the parents and kids. Let's all participating in this. We who love our kids dearly and care about the outcome of their faith, may we dedicate ourselves, renew our dedication as we sing this coming song, surrendering together with them and ourselves all worldly claims on our life that we may belong wholly to God forever. Worship team, would you come up and I'm going to pray. We're going to sing and then we'll close. Oh God, I pray that you would help us in all our endeavors. I pray whether it be young person here, single or married, grandparent or not, I pray that we would say in all our lives, we would have the whisper of our hearts, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city, he gives me rest. They're blessings. Pray that the young people in this church would be like arrows. They would go out directed and shaped by your grace through your people, including your parents. I pray as we sing this song, we wouldn't, we wouldn't just say them with our words. We'd mean them. If there's anybody here, God, that it does not have your saving grace, that doesn't know they're saved, hasn't given their life over to Jesus, I pray that even this song would be an expression of surrender to you. And they would, they would come to you today or this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.